It's time for the Raging Cajun Army, the only place where it's all Cajuns all the time. And now, here's your host, Matt Miguez. Cages in Youngsville. Matt and Jerry here with you, and we have a very special guest. I'm not sure if saying we were at Raging Cages gave it away, but we have I have three clues to to try and narrow down who it is before I tell you. He's lean, he's mean, and he was a Friday night strikeout machine. Wow. You like that, don't you? Wow. Okay. And of, and of course, I'm talking about number 12, Austin Robichaux. What's going on, man? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. No, thank, thank you for coming on. And, you know, you played for Louisiana from 2012 to 2014. Obviously, you know, you played for your dad, the, the late, great Tony Robichaux. I want to ask you what, and obviously, you know, being Tony's son, baseball was always, you know, part of your life. What is your earliest memory of baseball? Um... You know, it probably goes all the way back to sometime in McNeese um, when he first got the job at McNeese um, and growing up there and me and my brother going to the games and shagging BP um, while they hit batting practice. Uh, probably the earliest I can think of. Um, but definitely since from that point forward, uh, never really looked back on what sport I wanted to play. Uh, seeing how much my brother enjoyed having fun out there, um, and then following him, following him up. Uh, but I definitely, I can definitely picture it like it was yesterday. Uh, being in that outfield at McNeese, shagging balls, uh, catching a few of them. Uh, there is a, one specific memory too I remember Justin playing catch and I'm in the dugout he's playing catch in the outfield and guy hits a ball towards Justin someone yells Justin he turns and looks turns back ball hits him square in the nose oh Jesus breaks it oh Oh, Jesus Um, so you know memories some not as great as the others but uh, Magnese uh, every time you know someone brings up my dad being at Magnese uh, it brings up a lot of good memories. Now, how old were you when your dad transitioned from McNeese to UL? Uh, I'd be lying if I told you the exact. I know I was born in 92, and he was at McNeese, I think, for four years. Um, so I'd have to, I think I'd, I would have been around four. Mm-hmm. I think I was four. When he came to you up. Yeah. Okay. So you, you remember, like, as young as you were, you remember those early years. Of oh, yeah. Niece. I mean, I mean was, it's not, yeah. you got to think about it. It's not a something a typical four-year-old is going through, right? I'm, I'm on a field of with D1 athletes who <laughs> look like giants yeah. to me. Right. And I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm catching balls in the outfield that they're hitting. 
right? I don't care how young you are, it's pretty tough to forget. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, some people might speculate, you know, you being young, can't quite remember that, but you got to know the kind of ad- atmosphere I was put in. So with that being said, um, when, when your dad took the job at well, USL at the time, 94, 95, um, and you and your family moved to Crowley, um, do you remember like the adjustment as far as going to the USL baseball games? Do you remember the experiences there? Like, what would you like? Being four or five years old, obviously you're not going to be sitting still. You're going to yeah. want mom to go get your popcorn and go get cotton candy. What did Austin do with the games? Did Austin want popcorn and cotton candy, or were you more like into the game? Did you run around? What was your experience like at the USL baseball games when you were a kid? Oh, I definitely I ran I ran around. I would almost put it as running the streets with. Me and Thomas Simino, Wade's son, at the time, when Wade was there, um, me and him, man, we were a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> uh, not always doing things we should. Like what? Um, back in the old stadium, there used to be a payphone in front of the um, in front of the concession stand. There was a day that we were there, we were off of school, and we were just hanging out because our dads had to go to work. And we thought it'd be good to dial nine one one. Oh God! <laughs> um, so we dialed nine one one, and naturally, we hung up, and we went hide in the dugout. And, and next thing we know, Wade's walking up with a, a police officer, and uh, they found us. Oh God! And the repercussions were not good. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit. That's uh, awesome. But as far as during the games, it was mixed. Once the games start, uh, me and Thomas. You know, we were we were very into the sport, so we watched a good bit of it. Um, but I'd be lying to say if, if we sat from inning one till nine. Uh, but we watched a good bit, played a little bit of wall ball, um, ran around with the other kids. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that was that's what it typically looked like for me. <laughs> now you you said you said you were born in '92, so that would have put you at about eight years old when. Um, when your dad led the team to Omaha in 2000. You know, everybody remembers Rick Heidel sliding into home plate against Clemson. What do you remember from Omaha? What was your Omaha experience like? That, I mean, it's it's funny you said that because of that in general. I mean, I don't know how you forget that game. Um, uh, that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me. Um, obviously some other things like me and Thomas went to the, the zoo behind right field which is an incredible zoo but as far as the game aspect I mean that's the that's the main thing that jumps out to me uh, there's pictures out there of my dad you know leaving his feet and jumping in the air and what if you know my dad he, he never he really showed no he didn't no, no he, he didn't show emotion the only emotion he showed was hatred towards umpires that was the only time it would come out and they called it road rage road, road rage, rage. <laughs> I love that that's the only time you really saw it but as far as like you know jumping all over the place after winning a game he didn't do that so seeing him do that that made me realize how much it meant to him right for, sure. to, to get him to do that you know it had to have been something special. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid growing up in New Orleans, I remember going to some of the games. Remember the old Winn-Dixie showdown in the Superdome? Yep. On that turf, that Astro turf? And it seemed like every other year, uh, the Cajuns were in it. Yeah. And it's always, it was always a good weekend of good competition. 
Um, do you remember going to those games in the Superdome? I do. I do. I remember '99 uh, when they lost. Yeah. They lost in the Superdome to Rice, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, I do remember them playing LSU a few times. Yeah. I do remember. But uh, I remember my dad and I used to go whenever, you know, at the time, USL's playing in the Superdome. Let's go watch them. Yeah. And what's I, funny is, I think that LSU game, Phil Deeby was the pitcher. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Because I think he pitched in the late 90s. 90s yeah, 99 was his last year. Yeah, they went, yeah. I hate I hate to admit this, but when Dixie Showdown in the Superdome, I have no idea what y'all are talking about. Oh, that Astrodome. The Astrodome. Okay. Well, that was, that, well the Win Dixie Showdown was the Superdome. So that's kind of like the Shriners Classic now. Yes. And then yeah. it but, okay. but the Win Dixie Showdown was the Superdome, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, then we got to mess up. What well, I was talking about when they lost to Rice in 99. That was in the Astrodome. Yes. That was that in the Astrodome. Yes. Yeah. To go to, yeah. Because th- that year, I believe, um, y'all, I think the, the team was in Houston the week before. It was the, the Houston Cougars. Yeah. And then y'all had to go back to the Astrodome the following week to play Rice. Yeah. Do you remember, like, um, in the Astrodome, because, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've been to the Astrodome, like, once as a kid. What was that atmosphere like? Did, it, did, did we bring a lot of fans? Was it a good atmosphere as a whole? Like, yeah. That had been a really cool experience. Yeah, no. I mean, y'all both know we had the best fans in the country. Duh. Uh, plain as day. Um, and they travel. We travel well. So to be in Houston, I mean, it's almost like having a home game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, I remember that mostly because we had this VHS tape of that game, and like highlights and pictures, and, and someone put slow, sad music to it. Oh God! <laughs> so at a young age, I remember watching that video and just like reminiscing on it and being like, "Man, that's tough." But then, I mean, it worked for some guys because they went, they went, they made it to Omaha the following year. So I actually heard a story. Um, I forgot from who, but in 2000, obviously the team just started off on a tear. I think they started the season like 28 and three, had a few losing skids. I know your dad likes like to reminisce about how the players kind of rallied during some of the skids, and then all of a sudden the team is hosting its first ever regional in Lafayette. Talk a little bit about that regional as well as the super regional. Do you, were you were, obviously you were probably at the regional games, but did you go to South Carolina after the Cajuns had won that regional the weekend before? Did you travel to South Carolina? To, I did. Yeah, I did. Well, yeah. I mean that had to have been. It was absolutely nuts. Awesome experience. Absolutely nuts. I mean, what are you going to expect when you throw a freshman out there, which? I think I'm getting it correct, but I'm pretty sure it was Andy Grove who was pitching. He's pitching the last game. Freshman. True freshman, right? And you're pitching against South Carolina. Number one team. Yeah. There were stories, and that was what I was going to say. There were stories of people, actually South Carolina fans, coming into that weekend thinking that they already had it won. They were planning for Omaha. Of course they did. They were the number one team in the country. Planning for flights to Omaha. The number one team in the country doesn't lose. Yeah. Apparently that weekend they did. Hey, <laughs> I mean, the lights so, always falls. But yeah. do you remember like the final play to oh. like, where the team dogpiled on, in their stadium? Yeah, when he flipped it, he flipped it to first. Uh, yeah. It's it's the play you want. It's the play you dream for uh, to end it to end it all. Um, you want it and you don't want it at the same time because um, it's a. I mean, it was. A, I'm pretty sure it was a. 
I don't I don't remember if it was back at the pitch or back at Andy mm-hmm. or it was hit to second base or short. Regardless, it was a weekly hit ground ball. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's almost everybody holds their breath. You're just waiting for it. Yeah, you just, wait, you're just <laughs> yeah, waiting you just know, waiting for there, it. There's always those moments in baseball where even though it's a weekly hit ground ball, you know, you don't get the glove down all the way or oh. you, you bobble the transition from the glove to the hand or, you know, whatever. So that moment of holding your breath, okay, everything's got to go right. Oh. Got to get the ball to first. Absolutely. When we were when we were in the um, the regional and we were playing Mississippi State, and Matt Plitt strikes out the last guy, Strens blocks it, mm-hmm. picks it up, kind of throws it off, goes to throw it, and Compton has to jump off the bag, grab it, and go back and set the bag, and he was out. I mean, the dude, the dude hung it up after he struck out. He didn't try to get down the line, but right. it just goes to show you, you make that throw all day, every day in your life, but all of a sudden but, now, right. it becomes a little bit tougher. That pressure, for sure. Yeah. Now, you know, fa- fast forward in the life a little bit. We'll, we'll get to high school. You know, you were at Notre Dame and Crowley. Um, and, you know, after your senior year, obviously, you know, I don't know if you like to if you like to gloat or, or brag about yourself, but you had a dominant career at Notre Dame. Uh, there, were, there were talks about you entering the draft out of high school. What was that like, you know, knowing that you could go pro immediately after high school? And ultimately, what made you decide to go to UL? Um, you know, it's, it's funny to talk about because after actually going out of college and experiencing the draft and playing minor league baseball, I'd have got eaten alive. Out of high school? Absolutely. <laughs> 1,000%. I would have been eaten alive. Um, but not knowing at the time, of course it was awesome. I mean, it's a dream I had since I was little. It's starting to pop up and come true. I got scouts coming to games to watch me pitch. Um, but at the end of the day, I was mature. Uh, I've always been a late bloomer. I mean, both both physically and personality-wise, I was mature. I wouldn't have been ready for it. So I'm glad it happened the way it happened. Um, ultimately... You know, I got taken in a round that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I like to say I'm part of history. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. I got taken in the 50th round. I was two or one pick away from being Mr. Irrelevant. And for the listeners out there who don't know what that is, that's the very last pick of the draft. Yeah. You're called Mr. Irrelevant because no one no cares. cares. <laughs> uh, and the only reason I wasn't Mr. Irrelevant is because the Reds didn't have the last pick. Right. Um, but... At the end of the day, I'm grateful that they took me to begin with. Um, it was going to be like a draft and follow. They just drafted me to draft me in hopes they watch me play in the summer and I have a change of mind. But my dollar sign was put high because I knew what it was going to take for me not to go to college. Mm-hmm. One, not to go to college. Two, not to play for my dad. Right. And you see, that, that, led, that statement kind of led into my next question. In that moment when you were thinking, do I go to UL? Do I take the draft? What did your dad tell you? My dad told me straight to my face that this is your decision. He said, this is not my career. He said, this is your choice to make. Um, he both he said that in high school when it happened. He said that in college when it happened. Um, he said, I'm here for advice. But he said, at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you to go or not to go. Um, and that's just kind of a, a statement of who he was as a father 
Not even as a coach, as a father. Unless, uh, unless one of those people trying to scout you promises you jewelry, then your dad would get on the phone with him. Yeah. We, we know that story. Your dad would talk about that story about one time, I think it was travel ball, and a coach promised you like rings or some type and of... watches, yeah. And watches to play. And <laughs> apparently, you had to give your dad the phone. Uh, did yeah. you, he told you to go in the other room. Did you actually listen in on that call, or did you actually go to the other I room? I did not. I did not. Cause <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt bad for that guy on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> it's a learning experience. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, you decided you're going to go play at UL. Um, to re- I know, of course, all of us as fans rejoiced because you were coming. And obviously, you were coming to play for your dad. How was the relationship as far as, I mean, your dad's a head coach at a D1 school. How was that relationship as an 18-year-old? I mean, you're adjusting to college life, but then you're playing college baseball for your dad. How did that relationship evolve from father-son to player-coach? It it was almost, in a way, no transition. Um, and a lot of people who got to know my dad, both on a family side and a coach's side, can understand that because he was very well gifted at what he did. And he treated me just like a player. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was son up until I was a freshman. Once I was a freshman... You were I, I was Austin, whatever, whatever yeah. he called you. Yeah, right. I was. I was no longer his son. Um, I had to earn everything that I got. He wasn't going to give me anything. Uh, if would, I messed up you, at practice, he yelled you, at me. Would you say he treated you tougher than? No, and I get else? that question a lot, and that's that's another thing he was good at, you know, because some dads who coach their sons are too tough. Yeah. Because they, they know if they're not, someone's going to say something. I'm telling you, he drew the perfect line. Um, he was not over-aggressive. And at the same time, he treated me like any other player. Uh, he also had the respect for me as well. And, I mean, we had it for each other. Um, as far as when I first got there, it was more difficult on the player side. You know? Because I don't, I don't know if I was quite invited to some social gatherings because uh, they might be afraid that I'm going back and telling my dad right on whatever it may be um, but as it as it grew and people under, start to understand who I was and who my dad was I felt like I was just playing for you know another coach at another university yeah um, now the fans were tough not our fans mm-hmm. the other fans uh, I've heard you know Daddy ball this and oh, daddy's coming to take you out of the game. Oh. But I mean that that just fuels me. Yeah. More than anything. Well, you also played for your dad's brother, your uncle Tim, Tim Correct. on the show at Notre Dame. I mean, that had to have been a very similar relationship as well, playing for your uncle. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I tell that to a lot of people that you know they're like, oh, you played for your dad. And I was like, well, I played for his twin brother in high school. So I kind of got a I kind of got a prequel to it. Now if for the people who know both of them, they're both the most different identical twins there can be, um, <laughs> as far as how they how they talk and how they carry themselves. Um, but no, it was definitely it was a great experience for me. One, two, because you hear of a lot of people, you know, getting overthrown in high school, and if if you're if you're pitching well, a coach is going to continue to throw you. And there was none of that with my uncle because he knew better. Sure. Plus. He was not that kind of coach. Um, I mean, it also helped to have 
cleaning mother arms on my team in high school. Um, but no, it was definitely it was definitely cool to get a glimpse of that before actually getting to play for my dad. So did you and your dad, when you played on the team, did y'all talk baseball strategy within the team, like when you were away from the Teague or away from the clubhouse? Like when y'all go home, did y'all talk about pitching strategies or which is kind of like you just separated family from baseball? It was a, it was a little of both. It wouldn't get too in-depth of, you know, like him saying why you didn't do this or why you didn't do that sure. type thing. But we definitely, definitely talked, you know, especially if I was – now it was different because a lot of people assumed I just lived at home and I didn't mm. as soon as I left high school I was in apartments with a couple of guys on the team so it wasn't very often that I left the field with my dad yeah um, so there wasn't very many opportunities for that but like on the weekends when uh, I'd go to my dad's house it was more of you know just it's family time mm-hmm. right. like it's all about the family there was no there was no real breaking down this past weekend's game <laughs> or anything like that. So let's go in this room and look at your film. Right? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> there, there was none of that. Uh, that that actually happened more as I left. He he was he would if the if my minor league game was on TV, he was watching it. If it was on radio, he was listening to it. And he was in the living room with a notepad, going any by inning by inning, uh, writing down things I did correctly, things I didn't do correctly what pitch I should have actually thrown in a certain scenario and he'd always send me pictures of it and he'd call me talk about it so that actually happened more as I left him as you were in the minors correct yeah. but when I was playing for him no it's it was separated it, once we left the field whatever happened there stayed there yeah now you know let's talk about the transition you know both for the, the clubhouse aspect and on the mound from high school to college um, and you know, really, especially from the mound, was the was the perspective. Obviously, the perspective is different. But in what ways was maybe a college mound more intimidating than a than a high school pitcher's mound? Well, absolutely. That's a. I mean, it's a big jump. Um, you're going from you know, high school guys have one or two stud assets. You get to college where everyone one through nine can hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a while to realize that it's the same game at the end of the day it does not speed up it stays the same and that's where people get in trouble and you probably heard my dad say it but he always said for guys who struggle and he said he let the game speed up on him mm-hmm. the game does not change the length, the length of the bases maybe here or there the mound that changes the talent will change but the game is the same Right? If I get hit a ground ball back to me at the mound, that guy might be a little bit faster, but nothing else changes. So you'll see your guys who freshmen will pick up the ball, hurt it, freak out, and make a bad throw. They're letting the game speed up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like intimidating the mound itself, no. But like I had said earlier with me being a late bloomer, um, I think it took me a while just to you know make that adjustment and get ready for it because I went in being I think I was midweek my freshman year through a couple games here or there and then slowly went to Sunday Sunday went to Saturday and worked all my way all the way to Friday Um, and if you go back and look at my career it happened right when I first got to Notre Dame not that great started to get better and better 
freshman year at UL. Not that great. All the way into minor league baseball. Yeah. That moment that, you know, your dad or, you know, whoever the pitching coach was at the time sat you down and said that you're going to be the Friday night starter, what was that like? Uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, especially growing up and knowing what that meant. Knowing what that that was your guy, that was your your buffalo, as Matt Daggs would call it. Uh, <laughs> who You're just going to run out there, you know, and give your team the best chance to win. Um, it was cool to hear that from him. Um, not only because I knew what it meant, but because I knew deep down that I earned it. Um, and I'm glad we have the fan base that we have who understood that. Um, because it would have been differently if he... He could have said that from day one. I could have walked into that place and he could have said, you're Friday. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't have been right. So it, it was extra special because I had to grind to get there. Right. The magical 2014 season, I mean, to this day, people still talk about that year. Uh, 58-10, you know, Super Regional, hosting a Super Regional you know, again, go on and on about what was accomplished that year. What was the success of that season like for you, for your dad, you know, just in general? Oh, man, it was unbelievable for him, for the community, for everyone, top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they compare us a lot to the Omaha team, and rightfully so. I mean, you didn't really have a season like that up until in my freshman year, we weren't we weren't good. Uh, plain as day, we were not good. Following year, he bring, he brings on Deggs. Uh, we called it the turnaround year. Um, we completely had a, a flip, right? Then, after a whole year under Deggs and my dad, we get to my junior year in 14. And man, we just, we never looked back. Um, it's funny, we had so many different things. I mean, my dad had the one rule of never you can't have facial hair, right? You couldn't wear a hat on campus, and you can't have facial hair. Yeah, that rule got broken in 2014. <laughs> Jace Conrad makes a deal with my dad saying, if we don't lose back-to-back games, we don't have to shave. And he agreed to it. <laughs> and we did not lose back-to-back games until the Super Regional. Yeah, Jesus. Yep. And so, a lot of people don't realize that until you pointed out that, yes, we lost games, but we did not, not lose two. Nope, if, you, if you look at Jace in 2014 and you look at Jace now. Different person. It's a different person. Different person. Yeah. He had a big orange Amish beard. <laughs> orange, the Amish, Amish. And he got bigger and bigger. Because he didn't have the mustache. It yeah. Was, he didn't have this. He it was simply that. the beard. Yeah. So with that being said in 2014, um, the team, the team becomes you guys become a, a six ranked six. I think there was the sixth national seed to host the regional and super regional. Correct. First game of the regional, Jackson State comes to town on paper, and I'll say this as a fan. Tough. I thought it was gonna be ten, ten nothing. You're on the mound. Tough. You pitch a good game. You pitch a great game. You gave them one run. I think that was the game. first game I've ever pitched. A complete game and lost. Well, I went all night. With that, we lost said, one nothing. The performance on the mound was second to none. 
ironically, under that hitting system, we I, we just couldn't hit off speed pitching. That's all they threw were sixty mile an hour pitches, mm-hmm. and I we I, I think it seemed like from a fan's perspective, being at the game, I think we were trying to rake a little too hard, be a little too aggressive. Um, but with that being said, after the game, I think everybody in the stadium, including you guys, were all stunned. We're all stunned except for the Jackson State dugout. They're celebrating like they just won the World Series. I believe they went to McDonald's. <laughs> That's sorry, sorry. It was it was Taco Bell, and they all were like partying on their bus with Taco Bell. Okay, so That's what I heard. If they went to Taco Bell, with that being said, what what did you guys do after the game in the dugout? Was there some type of speech somebody gave? What was the mindset? Because now you're facing elimination. You lose one more, it's over. Yeah. What what with that type of adversity? What was going through your mind? What was going through your teammates' mind? What did your dad say? What did the coaching staff say? Like that Friday night after the game, what was the mindset for the rest of the weekend, and how were you guys able to make that turnaround for the rest of that regional? I think we were upset more than anything. Um, honestly, we talk about it to this day. We're not. We weren't completely surprised because we knew that's how you get us out. You can you throw us a soft throw and lefty because, like you said, it was tough to make adjustments that game for us. But we're our approach that we had, the approach that Degs taught, it just happened to be you throw a soft throw and lefty, it's your best chance to beat us. And that's what they did. Um, you you bring out Turnbull from Alabama and we hit well, mm-hmm. and he sits ninety six. That's just that's how it was. We hit we hit good pitching. Um, I don't know if there was a specific thing. I think we were just so angry that I just felt bad for anyone who had to play us after that. <laughs> um, and it was kind of a it was a kind of a a shot, you know, that we're walking high mighty, you know, and then Jackson State beats us. Not only beats us, is the only team to shut us out the whole year. Yeah, the entire year, nobody else shut us out. Um, so I think that was more of a shock than anything. No one really, I mean, Jace kind of said maybe a few words. Uh, my dad kind of pulled us together and said, so what? You know, who cares? It's over with. We are gonna. We had to win more than one game to win anyway, right? right. Um, so I think that point forward, like I said, it was just more of, okay, whoever's in front of us now is not, not going to like it. I mean, and they... They, they, they saw what happened the second time we played them. And, you know, obviously you you rolled through the rest of the regional. You end up getting to the Super Regional to host Ole Miss. The first game, that Friday night game, was a game for the ages. 10-9? Uh, 9-5. 9-5. 9-5. Yeah, I remember I was watching the highlights the other day. Uh, but Not Butler. Um who hit the Shug. Butler and Shug both yeah. at home. Shug hit three Shug hit the run. Run. Yes. and then Butler hit the Butler hit the solo over left field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um at that moment, you're up one game to nothing. You're game away from Omaha. What was the message in the locker room? Like what was the mentality? We're not done yet. Um rightfully so. I mean, you would Probably the message you're going to get across the board. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you that a lot of a lot of us probably didn't think, man, we got it. We're here. It's tough not to. It's tough not to let that creep into your mind. We did the best we could with it, and that's where the that's where the talk was of. It may seem like we're this close, but we're still we're not done yet. Right, and then you know, obviously, 
the story will live in in Cajun lure forever. You lose you lose two straight games and you know that's it. Yep. But with that being said, the game that the game that we won, the game one, you're on the mound. You start, you get the win. Going into that game, like you said earlier, like the community, the way it rallied around this team, the way that people nationwide were talking about this. I mean, we were we were Cinderella, right? I mean, yeah. we were you know we were the, like in Zagres in basketball. This was Louisiana Raging Cajuns in baseball, and you get to start. And and I guess I'm, I'm what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to reminisce a little bit because you grew up around this program. And at the same time, you being Coach Rogue's son, you grew up around the program, and you get to start on the mound in the first ever Super Regional game played at the Teague. Butterflies going in? A little bit. Uh, I actually had to, because uh, it wasn't one of my better games I've ever thrown. Um, for people who remember the game, I got three quick outs in the first inning, but they were all lasers. Um, one to center field, I don't know where the other ones went, but they were hard outs. And when that happened, you know, most, most people might think, oh, quick inning. But to me, I knew what that meant. They were seeing the ball well. Uh, I didn't feel like I was at my best. Um, so I had to do a little bit of grinding that game, and I think a lot had to do with that. Uh, Nick Thurman had to come to me in the mound and was like, have fun. Just have fun, dude. Um because I didn't get nervous a whole lot in college, but I knew what that meant. I knew what that moment meant. And I was, was trying it, to get my father back to, to Omaha. Sure. Was it one of those moments where, you know, you, you get to the field, you know, two hours before first pitch, you stand on that mound by yourself, and you, you do that 360, and you say in your head, this is actually happening? I wasn't one to do that. Um what happened when I when that hit me something similar was it was extremely hot that day and I remember um, me Nick Thurman who was catching that game and Brian the trainer we walked across to the to the Cox building and we went in the training room and uh, he had a cold towel on him we were just kind of relaxing I was getting stretched by Brian Next thing I know, we walk across the field, and there's 3,000 people outside. Mm-hmm. There's people tailgating with a giant big screen TV because they couldn't get, get tickets in, in into the, the game. Yeah. Um, people are, I'm walking back into the clubhouse. People are yelling at me, do it for Crowley. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. That, at that moment, I realized, man, what? how did we get here? Right. And like you said, this is, this is actually happening. I think what was cool about that from experience, like my wife, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we tailgated for a little bit and just walked around taking it in. Because the week before, you beat Mississippi State coming out the loser's bracket, which for people who don't know, Mississippi State was this national runner-up the year before. Mm-hmm. They they lost in the championship series to UCLA yep. and Omaha. And they had to come to our house, and we come out the loser's bracket and beat them. Twice. Twice. And now we're going into this game against another Mississippi powerhouse and Ole Miss, an SEC school, right? Big, you know, big deal, SEC team. And we're two wins away from Omaha, but what got me the most was, like you said, walking around and seeing people who couldn't even get this, to the stadium get lawn chairs, and they sat out for three hours during the game watching the game from outside the stadium on their lawn chairs. I, mean, like a, it, that was, I have people to this day tell me it felt like the football team was playing. It did. 
Because of how many people were outside the stadium. Uh, I hate I hate to admit I was not in town for Super Regional. I was. I was there. <laughs> Stuff happens. You know? my, my dad tried super hard to get tickets, and when he couldn't, he said, well, we're going to end up watching it on TV anyway, so let's go on our vacation. That's what, what was interesting. Go talk to me. I knew a guy. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Did you know a guy? Yeah. <laughs> that was another thing that got me. There two guys, technically, because me and him. I've never seen. I've never seen going into a game like that, especially. I mean, look, unless it's a big series coming to town, it's one thing. But the way people like on StubHub and Ticketmaster, and I don't know if you guys are paying attention to that on the team, but they were selling those tickets at some pretty high prices. Oh uh, yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, we were never number one ever. Yeah. And outright in every every poll, I mean, we were number one. So. I mean, what else? What else could you expect? And we're with our fan base. We're hosting a super regional. I mean, it's funny how we talked earlier about South Carolina because we almost fell into that. Because I'm pretty sure there was a lot of people of our fans who booked Omaha hotels. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. We were planning on it, but you know, hey, that's why the game's played. Right? And it's like you said, you know, uh, Goliath. It's a story. It's a yep. story. We were we're high money. Never lost back to back. Number one. Uh, win, win game one off the bat, and then, you know, kind of almost shut it down after that. Every Goliath has to fall sometimes. Yep. All right, so... Only bad part about it at the time, the timing of the fall, was a lot of people don't know, if we would have made it, I was still on the first game, and it would have been on Father's Day. Oof. Oh, man. Yep. That would have been something. Yep. That would have been awesome. All right, all right. Favorite story from 2014, whether it was on a road trip in the dugout or on the locker or in the locker room that no one has heard before. Hmm. Let me reach a little bit. Um. Honestly, a lot of people don't know about our practices, and they were pretty intense. They were not quiet by any means. Um, for people who know Jace Conrad, for people who know Mike Strentz, mm-hmm. for people who know Tyler Gerard, mm-hmm. aka Shug. Um, my favorite moment was we were they were having a pack um, hitting competition. They were going back and forth, back and forth to get something, and they finally won. And Shug ran the bases and got to third, took third out of the ground. And crow hopped it into center field, and every shook, sure. sure. and everyone started running rampant around the field, and that's how our practices were every day. There was always something on the line. There was always someone yelling, <laughs> but you know that happens anywhere else. You might not, you might not see that. So, like, okay, so. With those practices that year, because obviously I can just tell y'all had that swagger about y'all. That whole team just had just weight of energy. How much competition went on between? Because your dad coached mainly pitchers, a little bit of defense. You have Dags, who's aggressive as can be at third base. He's chewing that coffee straw that he always chews. Mm-hmm. How intense like was it like team versus team, like inter squad matches at those practices? Extremely. Uh, our six a.m.s we had something called the Omaha Cup. It's a red team and a black team. And you competed the whole offseason, and loser had payout. Um, and it competed in school, too. Like, if you didn't turn in your grade checks, you got minus points. 
if you didn't show up in class, you got minus points. Everything was on a point system. Um, and I, when I tell you it got intense, there was a day when it was what we call here snowing, right? Um, six in the morning, we're out on the turf. There's this thing, it was a relay race where they had cones set up every so often. And there was a ball on each one. The guy in the front had to run, take the last ball, bring it back, drop it, go grab the next ball, so on and so forth to each cone. And then when he was done, the next guy behind him had to do the opposite. He had to take the balls and then go bring it to each cone. And you did that until your whole line was done and whoever did it first won. Well, like I said, going back to people who know Mike's strengths <laughs> and people who know Caleb Adams. They get in a fight over who goes first. Like a fight? Well, I'll get there, but first of all, they're on the same team, right? Y'all talking about if it got competitive against other teams? I'm just going to let you know I got this competitive, and they were on the same team. And I was in, in that line, too. So that we were in that group together. So it was me, Mike, Caleb, and I can't remember the other players in our group. But they start fighting on whoever goes first. They start shoving each other. Stuff happens. Someone shoves someone in the face. Next thing I know, my dad comes flying out and separates them. Gets in Mike Strentz's face and says, you want to hit somebody? You punch me in the face. Like, I'm talking yelling. It got quiet quick. And he said, and he's staring Mike down and said, you punch me in the face. And the best part about this story was Jace is behind my dad looking at Mike going, <laughs> shaking, shaking his head because like I said if you know Mike strengths he would have punched my dad in the face and I'm sitting over there like don't punch him because if you punch him I'm going to have to try to hit you and I'm not going to knock you out so I don't, I don't I'm just going to have to hit you by default but honestly it's a funny competitive story but at the end of the day from that point on is where we, we really clicked as a team mm-hmm. um, you know we still we were together. There's still a little bit of separation, but I'm telling you, from that point on, I mean, we were locked in as a team. Awesome. Now, that's the kind of story yeah, I like I, to hear. I love that. That is awesome. <laughs> now, you know, after that 2014 season, you were a junior. Your your draft stock obviously was was rising. You decided that it was it was the time to go ahead and enter the draft. You know, second second time around, what was what was the draft process like? It was a little bit different. Um, so my dad had a rule that he would let you know when a team wanted to meet. He picked a place, which always was his office, and he picked the time because um, he wanted to know what was going on. So I had more of those interactions this time, more sit downs with teams, face to face with scouts, um, getting to know their organization and what they were looking for. Um, didn't quite happen that way in high school. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a different process. But the actual draft part, nerve-wracking. Um, I actually got a call in the sixth round by the Pirates. Um, they asked if I would take a certain amount. I stuck with my number. I got passed. Um Looking back on it... Do you regret that? No. Um, a lot of people assumed I would just because six round this, you know, higher. I ended up in a good place with the Angels. Um, 
I loved everyone in the organization. I loved what they were about. When I got there, it was throw strikes, pitch inside, threaten a hitter, everything I was good at. So, I mean, from a, from a round standpoint, maybe maybe I would have got more shots, sixth round versus 18th round. But at the end of the day, um, I loved where I ended up, so I don't regret that. But that process is a little nerve-wracking. You know, day one goes by. Well, I knew I wouldn't go on day one. Um, but day two, you know, starts tricking by. Um, but at the end of the day, I enjoyed both of them, both high school and when I was in college. So with that being said, there were, I think, from that 2014 team, seven or eight of you guys who were juniors who left to go to the draft. Were there ever talks of you guys coming back to say, you know what, we have unfinished business? Or was that that stock, that draft stock, just yelling at y'all to come to go to the draft? Like, were there ever talks of saying, we want to come back? No, I know Carson Barrett came close. I know he, he was on the fence and debated, kind of went back and forth. I, I knew the numbers, right? I knew what the highest paid um, senior sign was. And it wasn't a lot. And that's the highest paid senior sign. Plus you run the risk of, it's a whole nother year of getting hurt. What if you don't have a good senior year? Um, so as far as from like me wanting to play professional baseball, I knew I wanted to go as a junior. Um, I went to college. I got to play for my dad for three years. Now, that being said, if I would have fell really, really late, maybe not have gone. Um, but us collectively as a group, no. Especially because Caleb goes in the 10th. Yeah. Right? He's going to take that. Uh, Seth Harrison, also the 10th, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's gone. Um, guys like Chase Compton, he was, I mean, he's gone. Um, and everybody did go except for uh, Matt Plitt. Mm-hmm. Matt Plitt got drafted but didn't go play. Um but no, and everybody, I mean, it, it was our dream yeah. since we were little kids. Sure. Right? You get that offer, you got to take it. Too much of an opportunity to pass. Yeah, so. correct. Now, so, you know, you, you talked about getting drafted by the Angels and how the Angels, you know, was, was a perfect fit for you. One, one thing that I'm sure a lot of people would like to know, spring training, you know, summer workouts, whatever, Who'd you get to pitch against? Did you get to pitch against anybody of notable interest? Spring training? No. Um, I did, however, in games get get more opportunities. Um, in high A, I pitched against um, Gonzalez, who was with the uh, Dodgers. Yeah. Lefty. Hey, uh, Adrian Gonzalez? Mm, does it? I think so, yeah. 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 He was doing a rehab stint. Uh, ended up breaking his bat on a curveball. Um, besides that, no, I don't really think I got put in the opportunity of of some some big name. I had different occasions. Like, also when I was in high A and Mike Trout hurt his thumb, he came rehab with us. And there was a game where I pitched when he was in center field. Okay, oh, so you got to play in the same field as Mike Trout. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty solid. cool. That's, yeah. pretty that's cool. cool. Uh, I had experiences like that. I had, they, they kept me in extended spring training one year. Not where you really want to be. Um, and to do a weighted ball program to try to throw a little harder. Um, 
thought it was a step backwards. And I mean, it kind of was in a way, but I had some good experiences as uh, the freak, Tim Linscombe. Right. Um, Big time Timmy Jill, of course. Was making, he made his little, little small comeback and we signed him. And he came straight to Arizona. So I'm throwing like this max effort bullpen, which I'm supposed to throw 15 pitches as hard as I can. And I haven't thrown a curveball in a while. And Tim Linscombe's sitting behind me on the bench just watching. Um, can we curse, by the way? Yeah, why not? I'll just say it, but you believe it. I just want to know for the sake of the story. No, go ahead. Um, but the pitching coordinator's like, uh, go ahead and throw a curveball. I threw the best curveball of my life. Mm-hmm. Bar to none. And they had video of me because they were looking at my mechanics. And you see Linscombe in the background. I throw this curveball. He looks at the person to the right of him and goes, oh, shit. So, that's, a, <laughs> that's just another... I mean, I, I had Tim Linscombe thought clear as day that my curveball is pretty good. So, yeah, I... That's, that's solid. So, but, I mean, outside of that, the trout... Um, now I, I got occasion occasionally like um, Weaver would come down, Jerry Weaver, throw yeah. a bullpen, and I got to you know stand right next to him and watch him throw a bullpen. Um, as far as hitters, never really got the situation. Yeah. So with that being said, what was it like the life of a minor league baseball player? Because I've heard stories. I mean, you know, the the it's it's very tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you're like low A and you're just getting started. I mean, you travel by bus, you, your per diem is limited. You really have to have a passion for the game. From your experience, what was that like kind of getting into that grind as well as um, traveling to places you haven't been to before? It was rough. Uh, every bit of the word. Um, <laughs> unless you're just an absolute fan of eating peanut butter and jelly every day for your six months. Wow. Um, and I, I know people who love peanut butter, but I don't know about that much. <laughs> but it's tough. I mean, I go to play uh, high A in California and with the Angels. Now you can go find, go look for a host family. But from low A down, <coughs> they supplied host families. Okay. Which my low A host family ended up coming to my wedding. They're the closest thing to my actual parents. I've, I've ever met and they were unbelievable to me I'd come home from games my clothes were washed folded on my bed they cooked for me every night but if you get to high A it's find an apartment in three days type thing and one it's California so I'm in a two bedroom with six guys oh, with and my half of the rent was still $300 oh and this is on low pay low pay and at this time I was married and she, she wasn't working yet, so I added her to our health care. So I was getting, her stuff was getting taken out of my check. So that was being taken out of my check. Um, like you said, you have, you have clubhouse dues. You got to pay the clubby who takes care of you. Um, and then you pay rent. So at the end of the day, barely surviving, right? All while sleeping on an air mattress. And supposed to wake up the next day and throw hey, a was, solid nine how was, yeah, I, was about, I was about to say how is that healthy <sighs> for a pitcher it's not that's what I'm saying if, if you're a if you're a first rounder and I feel like baseball becomes a little bit easier mm-hmm. right from a financial standpoint not even from the fact that you're going to get more opportunities but the fact that 
you don't have to worry about the money, right? You can go, you can go buy groceries from Whole Foods and make sure you're fueling your body the correct way. I could not, right? I'm married. I'm not being paid a lot. Um, I got to pay rent. And at the end of the day, you want me to be top tier to perform. Mm -hmm. But yet I got to go get McDonald's every night. Yeah. Or, and as far as like the clubhouse, once you get there in high, we got, you get post game, which is usually decent. It's decent food. So dinner's paid for, at least when you're playing. Mm -hmm. Before BP, or when you come in after BP, depending on what kind of club you have, you'd have sandwich meat, snacks, bread, peanut butter, jelly. That's it. That's a grind. It's a tough life. But that being said, the stint I had at AAA was completely different. It's like playing. I mean, that's literally. It was. It was completely different. You do not pack your own bag. They pack it for you. When you get to where you're going, it's unpacked, put in your locker. There was a meal before, uh, before BP, after BP, and a meal after the game. Gatorade, water, beer, stocked in the fridge. I mean, it was a it was a different, a way different experience. Way different. So for a little while, you played in double A for Mobile. I did not. You did not. No, I went. Which are you ready for this story? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I go to high A. This was after. This is the year after they kept me in extended. So I'm already having mixed feelings on where they stand with me as far as a player. So I get to high A, it's the first day of practice. Pitching coach is talking to each pitcher shagging in the outfield, never comes to me. So I'm like, oh, here we go. I thought I was roasted. And we get back in the clubhouse, he says, come see. I go sit down with him, the manager, and a pitching coordinator's on the phone. They said, too many guys on the roster, we're gonna have to put you on the Phantom. For people who don't know what the Phantom is, it's, it's like I'm on the, the injured list, but I'm not actually hurt. Mm. So it's called the Phantom DL. You're on the DL, but you're not hurt. So I'm put on there because we have a lot of guys. So I can't even wear my uniform jersey out on the field. So I got to wear a sweatshirt. That goes by for a little while. One of the guys gets moved to double A. Once he gets moved to double A, I get put on the roster. I come out of the pen my first outing. So at this point, they moved me to a reliever. They wanted to try to make me a reliever. So I come out of the pen in high A, throw one inning, clean inning. Two days later, I'm sleeping. It's like eight in the morning. I wake up, I keep my phone on vibrate. I wake up to it vibrating with like 20 missed calls from my manager. I finally answer, he's like, hey, get your stuff, get to the airport. You gotta fly to Fresno, you're starting for AAA tonight. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm half asleep, like, trying not to freak out. And we were in Rancho Cucamonga, Mm -hmm. which is a commute for us. But when we commute, you just leave your baseball stuff there. And we drive back home. So, my stuff's over there. So, I get in the car, my car. I drive to Rancho, get my baseball stuff, drive to the airport, leave my car there, fly to Fresno, and pitch. Start for AAA. For the Fresno... 
No, I started for the Salt Lake Bees, but we played okay. against the Fresno yeah, Grizz- Lake, Grizzlies, yeah. which were which was Houston. Right. Um, do decently well. Uh, didn't want to. I five innings was my limit. I ended up going three and two thirds or four or something like that. Not as long as I wanted to go, but I did well for never even seeing double A time, <laughs> and just hey, by the way, wake up. You're pitching you're, against. You're going to triple A. Yeah, right. these guys were in the big leagues a few days ago. Um, so I, I'm there. I stayed the next day in the dugout, watched the game. After that, the manager of AAA says, hey, you're going back to meet Jaime. They put me on a train. First player ever to get on a train. Which, looking back on it, I thought it was pretty cool because I had never been on like an actual train right. before. Right. So I get on this train, get shipped to Modesto, California, which where the Jaime team was at the time. Play with them for a good stint of the season. I became a starter again. Midway through the season, I have a friend who's in AAA. I'm in the I'm in the stands charting. So when you're a starter, most teams will make you chart when you're not pitching. Mm-hmm. So I would pitch. Next day, I'm in the dugout. Chart, chart. Back to pitching again. I'm charting. He sends me a text. Says, "Hey, are you coming to Salt Lake?" I'm like, mm, I don't know why. He said, "There's a locker in a jersey with your name on it." And I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) So, game's over. I get back in the clubhouse. Sure enough, manager says, Robe, come here. He calls me in there. He says, hey, you're going back to AAA. We don't know for how long. So, shakes my hand, pack pack my stuff. Go back to to AAA. Um, This time I fly to our home in Utah. uh, Salt Lake, Utah. I pitch a game in Salt Lake. Decently well again. Um, I ended up staying for two weeks this time. So, pitch well, wait my five days, pitch again in El Paso, which was my best outing. Six innings, two hits, uh, no runs, a um, couple of Ks. Which thought that might have, hey, meant you might get to stay here. But yeah. it was quite the opposite. Right back to high. Right after that, they're like, hey, wow. you're going back to high. Um, so and, and I kind of knew it was more of a filler position. They knew how well I threw strikes. Triple A was lacking because they had to send guys out to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Needed someone who could throw strikes. At the end of the day, I'm taking that to the grave. You know, three starts in Triple A, regardless if it was to fill in or not. Of course. Um, I got I got Triple A time. Yeah. But no, I to answer the very long answer to your question, never seen Double A time to this day. Straight high A to triple A. So, you know, now you, you've been out of baseball for three years now? Two years? Uh, two. Two. Not this past September, but the one before was the last game I've ever played. What What is your career path now? I mean, I know, I know like we said, we're here at Breaking Cages. Your title here is Director of Operations. Is, is baseball... You know, potentially in your future, is what, what's what's your career looking like now? Well, yeah, I, I'm gonna stay in it, regardless, one way or the other. Uh, a lot of people joke, and I, I use it sometimes too, and say I got a PhD in baseball. Eh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's kind of it's kind of really all I know. Uh, so I'm gonna stay in it, regardless. Uh, if something ever pops up, you know, that's gonna benefit me and my family. Um, something to look at, but I, I don't know if 
I don't know if it'll ever be coaching. Um, if it would be, it'd be, I want to be a pitching coach. Um, I don't think I had that side that my dad had. I think my brother got more of it. Um, at least to be a head coach. Right. Uh, I saw what he had to take on. Uh, I could see me myself being a head coach at high school level. If there's any opportunity to do anything past that, it's pitching coach. Um, I'll, I'll, many people don't know, I've had three interviews to be an area scout. Hmm. Um, a while back, um, I had like three phone interviews with the Cincinnati Reds. They flew me to Cincinnati. Uh, ended up being out of me and three guys. And it was for it was for South Texas and South Louisiana was the area. Um, at the end of the day, they gave it to a JUCO coach in Houston because they know the talents over there. Right. Top top four guys going in the draft this year are out of Houston. High school kids out of Houston. Um, and my wife just took a new job. We just got our house, so we would have moved to Houston, but at the time, the timing of it all just wasn't good. But just to show you how things go like that, it opened up the floodgates. Phillies contact me. But it's for North Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas. And I'm like, he's like, you definitely got to move. He's like, I can't do it. After that, Red Sox contact me. Like, hey, another South, South Texas, South Louisiana. But they're also, hey, we want you to move to Houston. Um, so I almost, if, I, if they would have, if the Reds would have gave me the position, I, we would have taken it. I would have taken it. Um, and I think I see myself kind of going in that direction. Um, and also watching baseball for a living doesn't yeah. sound like a terrible job. And get paid uh, for it. And get paid for yeah, it. Just, just writing down a couple notes. Yeah. You, know? uh, you would like to, I, I, one of the runnings of the Reds, it was me and two other guys. One was uh, Leon Landry. Um, really? Yep. Yeah. He played LSU. I remember. Yeah. Was um, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. Uh, he played for them. Uh, he was in the Reds organization. Um, but it was just cool. Uh, me and him were on the same plane flight. Uh, but like I said, if they would have offered it, would have taken it. And then now, just in the situation with house and wife's new job. Um, but you know, anything in baseball. I mean, baseball's a small world. Yeah. Uh, word gets out. People talk. Uh, so I, I definitely see me staying in baseball one way or the other. Right. Yeah. So, let's kind of move on. Last summer, obviously, very dark time. Uh, the passing of your father, Tony, Rub- Tony Robichaux. The, the way the community responded, and I'm asking you this as a Robichaux, how did you and your family react to the community outpour of whether it was sympathy, well wishes, even from a national perspective? It seemed like a lot of um, recognition went to your dad from coaches from other universities, media. How did how how was obviously in such a dark time, such a sad time. How was your family able to handle the outpouring of, of sympathy from the community? It helped uh, more than anything, because um, like I said, it it shows you what he did and the impact that he had, um, and to to see that people saw that and understood it and knew what he stood for, it, it makes the process easier. It doesn't make the process easy. Right. It makes it easier. Um, to, to actually physically see it, I think they estimated over 7,000 people came to his wake. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just incredible. Uh, 
a story that some people may not know is that a girl comes up to the casket with her father and introduces herself to my brother. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're not going to know me. The little girl says, you're not going to know me. I don't, I never met your father. She said, we're actually from Texas. She said, I saw all his videos on YouTube and I felt the need to come. Wow. She's like, I, I, I told my dad, <laughs> I told my dad, get, get in the car and drive me. I, I feel like I have to be there. And some people don't know that. And that just, I mean, that speaks for itself is what it does. Someone who's never met my father, seen just YouTube videos of him and drove countless hours to come to his wake. Um, there was the FedEx guy on my dad's route was there. His janitors were there. Right? So that just speaks high volume of who he was, right? You got, and my brother said it the other day. Uh, my brother spoke when he got inducted to the um, high school coaches hall of fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisiana, Louisiana. Louisiana baseball writers. Yes. Um, my brother said it best that you got the highest of the high in there. You got you got Paul Maneri. Yep, I, I shook hands with Paul Maneri and Skip Bertman. Skip Bertman at the funeral. You got the highest of the high, and then. What society thinks is the lowest of the low janitors. Mm-hmm. That speaks to what he stood for and who he was. Right. right? Any other coach, I'm not going to speak down on any other coach, but who you know that treats your, your janitors the same way. It's, it's, it's safe to say there will never be another coming yeah, yeah. Who treats them like, they, like they're any other person, right? He walked right. in there, greeted them. Any food that was left over from the cooking club was given to the janitors. Mm-hmm. Any leftover gear was given to the janitors from following years. Can I be a janitor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at this point, man, I'll clean floors if I'm going to get some food and some... Some food and some swag? I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll clean some floors. So, like I said, I mean... Especially the baseball team. I feel like the baseball team has the best swag out of any program at UL. Like, I feel like the baseball team always has... Get behind that. Always has the top stuff. Like, like that Wolfpack hat they have this year? Yeah. People are asking about what that is that. I want one. Yeah. They're all saying, I want one. Oh, well. yeah, that, a lot of people don't know the pack story, but uh, on Degg's, I mean, that, that, that was Degg's approach. He brought that. Right. What it, what it is and what it meant. And I mean, they'll get it now after seeing the hat. But So, with that being, like, you know, what you were saying, I mean, 7,000 people. Wow. Um Hindsight's twenty twenty. I know that you guys knew that your dad was larger than life in the community around the area, but I guess, did you really understand it until you saw that many people come and shake your hand No. at that wake? No. And I could lie to you and say, like, because, you know, you have people throughout when, when he was alive coming up to you and talking to, or coming up to me, mm-hmm. saying how much they respected him and all that, but you don't if it goes back to the thing of seeing is believing type deal, right? Mm-hmm. Standing up for eight hours in front of his casket to greet people um, really put it into perspective um, of what he actually did, right? It's like you said, it ended up being on CNN. I think it ended up being on USA Today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it hit home a lot of places. And what he wanted the most and what people are understanding that had nothing to do with his wins. Anything. 
The article might start off with that, mm-hmm. but the really the real reason why he's acknowledged by so many people was because he wore his faith, and it was not about baseball. Baseball is going to end before it's over with. But what the the world, the real world, is going to be there, and that's why he wanted to turn those boys into men and convert them. And I mean, being there and seeing that, it it put it more into perspective. Right. Real quickly, your favorite robism. Favorite robism. There's so many. Oh man, 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 man. <laughs> There's so many. Let's see. So I'm gonna say I'll give you serious I'll give you serious and not serious. Serious side of it would probably have to be um, man on the spot there's so many and I've heard more than people have because he I mean that's how he spoke you know everything he's everything that came out of his mouth sounded like it was out of a Cracker Jack box analogy like a fortune cookie or yeah. analogy like it was on the back, back of a cereal box um, on a serious note it would probably have to be um, he always talked about he would always say employment kills our gift and people don't really understand that but if, if you if you think about um, who's a motivational speaker he um, can't remember his name but he talks about the graveyard is the most uh, I forgot how he worded it, but saying people go to the grave with good ideas and their gifts. Mm-hmm. And that always kind of hit home to me, being said, because he always talked about his gift and giving away your gift, and God gives everyone a gift. Regardless of what it is, he gives everyone something. And when he says employment kills your gift, basically saying so many people were worried about having a job getting a job that they're not focused on their gift mm-hmm. and taking your gift studying your gift and then finding your employment around that is what it should be mm-hmm. but so many people are just worried about getting a job getting a job like I said they, they got this great gift but they're sitting behind a cubicle right? because that's that's what it was at the time right other note we'll go we'll go funny side um he used to tell me when I was being selfish he'd, he'd always say you know there's a street named after you and I was like what are you talking about and he goes they call it a one way every time I was being selfish <laughs> I like that um, I like that another uh, another good one that I always liked was uh, when he talked about, and a lot of people know this one but when you hang a curveball in high school uh, I don't want to butcher it. When you hang a curveball in high school, you buckle the squirrel in the tree or something. Mm-hmm. You hang a ball in college and it gets hit out of the park. Yeah, something something to that standard. But where he came up with this stuff, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but like you said, he was he was full of them. Would he bring it to the dinner table, like just randomly talking about whatever? And then he would just bring up a robism. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, not even to a robism. It's just the way he spoke. Like you said. 
if I was being selfish, he'd say, he just rant, he'd kind of giggle and say, they named the street after you. You call it a one way. <laughs> I like that. Or like, if he's messing, and you I'm sure you've heard this one, everyone says this, but messing around outside playing basketball with him and my brother, and I go to try to dunk, get rejected, and he's like, you couldn't dunk a donut. <laughs> right? And that's, that's a common one. That's not his. Everyone right, says right. that. But that's just how he talks. See, my, my favorite one is, is the water hose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants he wants guys that are willing to drink from a water hose. I'm not gonna have the mommy bring the power right. radio. No wonder we're models. Work work yep. while you wait. Yep. I mean, work, I mean, wait, I know, work while you wait. For I, know, class. I know those are the ones that you know everybody loves, but those are the ones that have always resonated with me. Yeah. You know, I I try to live the work while you wait motto every day. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's like you said, there each one's gonna resonate different, but at the end, you gotta break it down. Like you can slap it on a wristband and you can wear it on your wrist. But at the end of the day, look at it and live by it. Mm, right. And it's not hard. Like, you're going to get in a situation where something financially or your job's not going to be how you want it. But that's where that comes in, right? Work while you wait. It helped me in Pro Bowl. When I got stuck in Extended, when they told me I was on the Phantom DL, I called him crying, saying, like second guessing my talent I don't know if I can pitch anymore they don't think I can pitch you know what he said work while you wait work while you wait that's what he said that's how he talked it's what he told me and it's like like I said you can you can slap things on t-shirts and wristbands but if you don't live by it it doesn't really mean anything it resonates though I mean even you know I mean any career you're never gonna you're never gonna start at the top no you gotta start somewhere but you can learn how to get to the top as you work while you wait yeah, you can sit sense. you can sit and sulk and just accept where you're at. Or you can just work while you wait. Now, you know, your dad and Matt and Coach Matt Deggs were, you know, obviously very close. Matt Deggs, you know, has said many times and he wrote it in his book that your your dad saved his life, mm-hmm. saved his career, you know, so on and so forth. You also had the opportunity to play for Deggs for two and a half years at UL. To the diehard fan that's been around this program for for years now, there was no other coach to come in after your dad. Is the program in good hands? Was he the was he the right guy for the hire? Absolutely, hundred percent. Now I remember at Coach Dex's introductory press conference, him talking about you know you and, and your family having you know a say in, in who followed your who followed your dad what was like I know you say absolutely was it an instant it's Matt Deggs or were there other coaches you know yeah, I mean he he says that I think to a certain extent like we at the end of the day it wasn't like we as a family were picking who it was it, it, it wasn't our decision we could give who we think is right for the job but at the end of the day it wasn't us picking a coach right um now if, if you you ask me I say him every day of the week right one he he says he thinks he owes it to my dad and owes it to these fans but two I mean he knows the program he knows the the pack he knows everything he's been here right um I remember someone else being in the running of a Mississippi coach. 
Um, but if if they knew anything about who he was and my dad and their relationship, they were gonna go after him. Yeah, I, I said from the get go that it had to be. Like if they didn't, I mean, you, then it's someone's not doing their job correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very blessed that they saw it clear as day and picked him. Um, well, I think it's safe to say as fans, I mean, that was the first choice. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's a perfect fit, perfect story, the mm-hmm. background story, the relationships that your dad and Coach Deggs had. And I mean, what better, like he said in the press conference, you know, because we were there, we, we actually had the chance, we're sitting in the back, and when he said, told, when he looked at you and your family and said, I'm honored to carry on Coach's torch, it fit. It did. It fit. And, yeah, yeah I, I agree. A lot um, of people don't know that day, that press conference, someone came up to him, random guy, gave him an old school gray jersey that my dad had signed. He got my dad to sign it a long time ago. It was an old jersey. And it just had my dad's signature on it. Um, but of all numbers, it was 28. It was 28? No way. It was 28. So there was a lot of things that happened over time that just were like, that's out of anyone's control. That's kind of crazy type thing. And just for for him to hold on to that all these years, and it just happened to be Dex's number, it was pretty cool. Now, you know, although it was probably expected, what what did it feel like to be invited to that press conference? Oh, I mean, mixed emotions. Yeah. Um, you get excited right off the bat. Uh, but then, you know, being at these things a lot back to back to back can wear on you a little bit. Um, you can see it from both ends, right? I see it, my dad having YouTube videos and every other post I scroll on Facebook is about him both ways, right? It's... One, it's like he's still here. Two, a lot of people who lost their fathers don't have that. Mm-hmm. Right? They can't get on YouTube and listen to their dad speak. Right. So it's a gift in that way, but it's tough sometimes. Right? You want to take a step back kind of sometimes, and you you can't. Right? Because you either got to go to the Cane Cutters game because they're honoring him, or I'm just trying to get on Facebook to kind of, you know, retreat a little bit. And two scrolls later, someone's posting about him. Um, it's both sides of the fence. Right. More obviously on the good side, right? Because I, I want people to know what he did and who he was. Um, and the more that it gets out there, the more it might hit someone who don't know who he is, and they, you know, they need to hear something. Sure. And, yeah. Well, I was gonna say. Um, so with that being said, obviously. It's safe to assume that your family and the Deggs family, are, y'all keep in touch a lot. Still, like you still talk to Coach Deggs on a regular basis. Like, how how's that relationship as far as kind of getting excited for the season? You know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I message Deggs all the time. He always is messaging me saying, "Hey, just checking on me sometimes. How you doing? How's everything?" Uh, my mom is really close with uh, Coach Deggs' wife. She wants her to go sit with her at majority of the games or the games she wants to come to um, so yeah no we're, we're a very close family Ava my sister's oldest child is 
friends with Dex's daughters. Awesome. So yeah, no, we we're very close. She's excited that they're back because they were friends and they had to move. Um, so it, I mean, it goes back to everything just fit. Right, it's no brainer. Everything just fit when they went after him. What was the first thing that Coach Deggs told you and your family when he was contacted about the position? I don't know if he he told us like collectively anything. What did he tell you? But when he came through the line at the wake and he passed the casket and he shook my hand he was crying and uh, he was saying the usual like you know your father saved my career saved my life and he said you know what you know what he did for me and he took a step back and pointed at his entire family he said that's what your dad did for me wow he saved us he saved my family um, and I mean from that I think about that all the time you know, especially the times I get when it gets a little rough, to know that's the kind of person that my dad was, um, and somebody as you know as stern and as Coach Deggs for him to you know emotions leaking and for him to say that uh, meant a lot to me personally. Um, no, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say so. Moving forward, um, obviously, you know. Baseball season is a little over two weeks away. Um, there's there's a lot of talk, especially this year, um, with Coach Deggs coming in, but also honoring your dad. Through Austin's eyes, what are your expectations for this season? What are you looking forward to? Um, have you been following the team, uh, the players in particular? What kind of um, expectations do you have for this team and what they can do on the field? I've been following them not extremely closely, uh, but – Keeping an eye out, not anyone individually. Like I don't, I don't really know names, uh, but I kind of pop my head in every now and then, and I feel like it, it's something excited, it, something exciting for the uh, the Cajuns fans this year. Uh, I feel like they're going to compete at a high level this year. Um, they're big. Um, I think big as they've been in a while. Um, from a pitching staff standpoint and from a position player standpoint. Uh, I think the arms are going to be great. Uh, I think BJ knows what he's doing. Uh, he's pitched at the highest level. Uh, so, I mean, he was the highest paid closer at one point. So, I think they're in extremely good hands with the coaching staff. Um, and I'm looking forward to them seeing to seeing them play some games this year because it kind of it kind of reeks of a of a 14 type type deal I mean obviously no one's ever gonna in my opinion if you ask me right. <laughs> or if you ask Jace Conrad no <laughs> one's ever gonna touch 40. us it's yeah. a unique team y'all are a unique team man uh, we did things team. differently but I think it's gonna be the closest it's been in a while um and, you know, I think maybe it's just me thinking about it, but they're playing for something a little extra this year. Absolutely. They're playing for someone. You know, there's 36 on the back of their hat, on the front of their hat, back of the helmet. Um, so hopefully, you know, it, it hits home with some of those guys and they realize they're playing for a little bit extra this year. 
Now, you know, you talked about B.J. Ryan and how he's transitioning to his pitching coach duties. What does it mean to have, you know, one of one of your dad's former players and a guy that regarded as one of the best to ever come from your dad Yeah, be in that position now? Uh, it's it almost puts you at ease a little bit, right? Knowing he's kind of in good hands. Uh, knows the knows the program it's been there knows how my dad handled the pitching staff um, and on top of it uh, like we talked about earlier with the podcast if you watch the podcast of my dad uh, on YouTube he talks about when BJ Ryan got signed or got his big contract my dad was waiting for the acknowledgement um, looked around, never saw it. He was kind of upset. A lot of people don't know this. This is kind of what changed my dad. Um, just when he thought, just when he got upset and he thought it wasn't going to get there, there was something else that came out where BJ Ryan said, I owe everything to Coach Robichaud. And then from that point on, my dad kind of flipped the script on how he carried himself and what he stood for because he kind of he saw you know the selfish side of it right he was expecting to to get acknowledgement thought he didn't get it only to find out that BJ said he owes everything to my dad wow so for them to happen to go after him too I mean it's it's almost like a deck situation um it's it's a no brainer yeah so overall Growing up around this program, playing for this program, and just being in many ways, this program being a part of you and your family, what is your, as far as the resources, because like you talked about from the days when your dad coached at McNeese, and I remember hearing stories from your dad when he was at McNeese, your mom and dad would take a lot of hours to do their own maintenance work at the stadium. Uh, I'm sure in the early years when they were at USL, doing the same thing at the team. I'm sure you spent many a days where y'all probably went to the, you and your brother and your sister went to the park while they worked on doing maintenance work because of lack of resources. Now, you go into the, I mean, as Coach Danks called it in his opening press conference, we play in a palace or a pearl that your dad had a huge, probably one of the largest roles in getting that stadium there. Seeing what's here now, is it satisfying to walk into Russo Park and just realize where everything comes full circle and just looking and being like, wow, like how, I guess not, is it satisfying, but what, what goes through your mind when you walk into Russo Park now, seeing when you were younger, your parents having to scrap to keep just the quality of the stadium around. And then now you're walking into a stadium that a minor league team could play in. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a cool experience. Um, especially being his son and knowing how much he wanted it and how bad he worked for it it's cool to see that happen you know people joke and say the house that Ro built um, and I mean it's, a, it's just an overall cool experience every time you step in there and, and know that what kind of role he played to get there it's like you said I remember the old stadium when my mom used to sit in the box seats by their dugout there was a little green wooden fence right there I remember my dad and mom put that up. They painted it. Um, they, they, 
he got that program in, in a bad place. Um, they were on suspension. It wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't have anything. So it, it, it's like you said, it's cool. It's cool to walk into that place and know the role that he played to get that. Um, and especially coming from the old stadium where, you know, there was no workers. You didn't need workers because it wasn't big. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you got Lord knows how many people on staff working <laughs> the stadium, yeah, right? And the old stadium, if you wanted to, if you were walking on the street and you wanted to go hit BP with your friends, you could. Mm-hmm. And I always saw that as a as a sign as it wasn't where it needed to be. Right. Right. You go to Alex Box, it's like Fort Knox. And you can't just be in Baton Rouge and go hit on that field. Dang, dang, dang. No. Yeah. The, the old tee, it, the fence, first of all, might have been open. <laughs> and if it wasn't, it was it was so terrible, you could have just got around it and you could have been on the field. Right. And now it's a, it's, it's more of a, it's more of an Alex Box feel. And uh, it's come a long way and it's cool to know that uh, he played a big role in that. You know, once on... Um I went to a diamond club lunch and I actually got in the elevator with your dad. And just the, the thought of being in an elevator. So, of course, I asked your dad, I said, Coach, I said, 20 years ago, did you ever imagine being in an elevator inside of this baseball stadium? And he goes, honestly, man, I remember writing a draw, drawing on a napkin. And it kind of resonated with me, like, wow, like that vision of drawing what what could be on a napkin. And then the next thing you know, 20 years later, you're in an elevator inside your own baseball stadium going speak to the Diamond Club inside your own club level. Like, that, just that whole entire process yeah. is just like, it's crazy to think about. It's funny. It's very funny and weird you said that because when we were at the Hall of Fame induction, we were riding down the elevator and my brother giggles and looks up at everyone and says, do you ever think, did you ever think we would be in an elevator at this stadium? He said the exact same thing you said yeah. to my dad. And, and that's cool that that that, that happened, but it, it hits home. Like no, at no point, <laughs> at no point in time did, was there going to be an elevator at the field. Like I never thought it'd be a thing, and for him to grind it out and get it to where it is is pretty cool. I highly doubt there being any kids playing wall ball in the stadium, right? No, if, if, they, <laughs> if they do, it's probably on the old uh, on the old clubhouse, not anywhere on not the, anywhere in the stadium. No, no you know. Awesome. We'll go. We'll go ahead and, and wrap up here. But you know, one more question that I want to ask you, from you know being Tony Robichaux's son to playing for UL to being around the program, you know, your entire life, being a raging Cajun. What does that mean to you? Um, to me, if if I had to put it in one word, it's family. Um, like I said, people people talk here or there about. Our, our fan base because it's it gets recognition on attendance but they truly don't know mm-hmm. right I I was on a team that was bad in 2012 I'm talking about bad didn't make our own tournament and the bleachers were still packed right to 2014 was the best team ever it looked the same I mean yeah there was a little bit more people in 14 but to be as bad as we were and people were there because they they loved to watch Raging Cajun baseball. They loved what Raging Cajun meant 
right? They knew they were, what they were going to get regardless if we won or lost. And to me, that screams family, right? Not too, many pe- not too many places can you, the first base coach run out and then someone yell at him and he's got someone handing him a link of sausage, right? Nowhere <laughs> else is that going to happen. Sure. All right. Um, that's because we're family, right? We might get on the opposing team, but as soon as the game's over, we're going to feed you. Mm-hmm. That also doesn't happen anywhere else. Right. Um, so Raging Cajun means family from the day I played to the day I'm six feet in the ground it, I, I'm privileged I, I was privileged to be a part of that name um, and I would hope everyone feels the same but to me man it just it screams family I love that nice love that. thank you for coming on and uh you know, baseball's about 16 days away, so uh, hopefully we'll see you at Russo Park. Oh, you'll definitely see me and my wife, and she's pumped, because that is her gift for Valentine's Day. She actually asked, uh, my wife and I were up in the suite somewhere for the UL football game, and we saw both Leanne and Sarah, and I saw them, gave them a hug, introduced my wife. The first thing they asked, Jerry, you ready for baseball? And I'm like, what am I not ready for UL baseball? Yeah. Right? So I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, and it should be a good time. Of course, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, anytime you want me back, I'll be waiting. Please, come back anytime. Absolutely. Of course. Thanks a lot. What's up, Cajun Nation? This is Jerry Bear, and here is your two-minute drill. The women's basketball team took the floor last Thursday night in the Cajun Dome and took care of the Arkansas State Red Wolves by a dominating score of 83-43. Leading the Cajun scoring was guard Micaiah Hallman with 12 points including 0 rebounds and 1 assist. Leading the scoring for Arkansas State was guard Morgan Wallace. She had 9 points including 6 rebounds and no assists. Following that win, the Cajuns returned to action this past Saturday against the ULM Warhawks, where they extended their win streak to three games with a 68-55 win. Forward Tyrona Doucette led the scoring for the Cajuns with 17 points, including 11 rebounds and one assist. Leading the scoring for the Warhawks was Diamond Brooks with 13 points, including 10 rebounds and one assist. With those two wins, Louisiana improves its record to 13-6 overall and 6-2 in conference play. They are now tied with UT Arlington for second place in conference and one game out of first place behind Troy. Coach Gary Broadhead and his team return to action against the Little Rock Trojans this Saturday, February 1st at the Cajun Dome. Tip-off is set for 2 p.m. and you can catch the game on ESPN Plus or on ESPN 1420 AM where Steve Peliquin will have the call. In other news, men's basketball snapped a four-game losing streak this past Saturday in the Cajun Dome with a win over the ULM Warhawks. The final score was 81-60. The Cajuns were led by forward Jalen Johnson with 27 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 assists. Leading scorer for the Warhawks was Tyree White with 15 points, including 13 rebounds and 2 assists. Also of note, the Cajuns got to see the return of freshman guard Malik Wilson for the first time in almost three weeks. His return performance included nine points, five rebounds, and three assists. The win against ULM improves the Cajuns' record to 8-13 overall and 3-7 in conference play. 
Coach Bob Marlin and his team will return to action on Thursday, January 30th, when they head to Arlington, Texas to face the UT Arlington Mavericks. Tip-off is set for 7 p.m. Following that matchup, the team will then head to San Marcos on Saturday, February 1st, to take on Texas State. Tip-off for that game is set for 4.30 p.m., and you can catch both games on ESPN Plus and also on ESPN 1420 AM or Hot 107.9 FM, where Jay Walker will have the call. Also of note, the women's tennis team will be in action on Saturday, February 1st at Cajun Courts when they take on the Southern Jaguars. That match is set for 9 a.m. On that same day, the men's tennis team will get on the road to take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi. For that match, match time is pending. Are you ready for some baseball and softball? Well, both seasons are less than three weeks away. Get your season tickets now at the Cajun Dome box office or at RagingCajuns.com. And that's going to do it for your two-minute drill. I'm Jerry Abair. Go Cajuns! <laughs>